I add my welcome to you uh, to Rivermont this morning along with Mike. I invite you to open your Bibles or one of the few Bibles to the Gospel of John to John chapter 6. Now as John chapter 6 opens, we find Jesus on one side of the Sea of Galilee. There's a large crowd of people that are following him because they had seen his miraculous healings of sick. Jesus, seeing the people, is aware that they are in need of food for their bodies. So he does what only God himself could do. He takes five small loaves and two small fishes, and he feeds a multitude of over 5,000 people. After all the people were satisfied, the disciples gathered 12 baskets filled with the leftovers of this miracle. Now this remarkable miracle serves as a life-size illustration and arrow, thank you Mike, thank you young disciples, for a sermon that Jesus is about to preach, a portion of which we will read about this day. Jesus presents himself as the bread of life. And yet that night, now this is the night of the feeding of the 5,000, fearing that the misplaced zeal of the crowd would compel them to come make Jesus king by force, Jesus does only what God himself could do. And he walks on the water to reach the city of Capernaum on the other side of the lake. Undeterred the next morning, the crowds all pile in boats and cross the Sea of Galilee in search of this Jesus Christ. When they find him, they begin to question him. And what becomes sadly very clear in the ensuing discussion is that the crowd completely misses the point of the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, as well as the miraculous feeding of the children of Israel by God in their 40 years of wilderness warning uh, in the feeding them of the manna, the bread from heaven. So we begin to read John chapter 6 at verse 25. When they find, found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they said to Him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen Me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, 
that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Let us pray. Our Father, as we come before You with our burdens and our joys, we pray that for a moment You would unburden our hearts to focus upon the things of greatest importance that You have given to us in Jesus Christ, the bread of love, the bread of life. We ask it in His precious holy name. Amen. Now most of us have certain snapshots of significant moments in our lives. I remember with clarity the day that Elka and I, on a family vacation, had Daniel, our son, and Elka go back to back like this, and we realized that Elka, I mean that Daniel was now taller than his mother. And then I also remember one year later, on the same spot, on another vacation, it was now my turn to stand back to back with my son Daniel, and guess what? He is now taller than his dad. I remember those two days, those snapshots, I won't forget. I also remember, as if it were yesterday, the last time I saw my father on this earth, he had a gentle smile on his face, and I heard him say, Son, I love you. Again, this picture I will never forget. I also remember the day I witnessed a young five-year-old girl wrapping a small piece of bread so gently, so gingerly, and gazing at this little pancake with hope. In feeding children who daily survived by the gleaning from massive garbage dumps for the city of Reynosa, Mexico, I was told that her leftover pancake bread was lunch for her father and her mother. This young girl is a snapshot that I will never forget. Here's the point. In Mexico that day, as it was in Jesus' day, bread was often the entire and only meal that anyone ever enjoyed. People needed bread, not simply to energize their work, but they needed bread to stay alive. In context, think of the prominent role of bread within our biblical story. When Jesus multiplied the loaves, He was not providing a midday snack. No, He was providing a huge crowd with their physical nourishment for the entire day. In a more profound manner, you and I cannot survive without Jesus Christ who provides for us this day and every day our daily bread as our Savior. So we embrace the Lord Jesus Christ who alone satisfies the hunger and thirst for our souls. For daily satisfaction by the bread of life, we consider in our text the people, their provision, and saving the best for last, the person who is our bread, the bread of life. Now let's start though with the people around the person, the bread of life. The people that found Jesus in Capernaum begin with this opening question, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now they were aware that the disciples had left the night before in one boat and they knew that Jesus was not in that one boat. And yet Jesus virtually ignores the question. He is able to tell the difference between that which comes out of our mouths 
and that which is within our hearts. It's an amazing perception that Jesus has. He is able to discern the true and deepest motivations of our human hearts. Jesus knows that this people, they're confused. Brothers and sisters, I wonder if you are ever confused. Not that I am ever confused. But I wonder if it's a comfort to you that our Savior knows the deepest moments of our hearts when sometimes we are longing for answers. And He does know This crowd, though, is following Jesus not because they want to hear the words of eternal life, but because they think that they found in this Jesus a never-ending supply of physical bread. They want literal bread to satisfy their physical hunger. They want someone who could provide them with this bread day by day, every day, so that they would not need to worry. The same phenomenon occurs, you recall, when Jesus reveals Himself to be living water to the women at the well in John chapter 4. She replies, great, give me some of this water so I won't have to be coming back to Jacob's well day by day. So this crowd is not focusing on truly significant eternal issues. So Jesus responds, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. The crowd replies, What must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus simply says, This is the work that God requires to believe in the one that He has sent. Now, as the interaction continues, the people have the boldness, and I, I, I guess I best say the nerve, to stand above Him and to demand more signs. They say to Him, in essence, Moses could feed a million people every day for 40 years. Why should we believe in You? Jesus corrects their biblical misinterpretation. It was not Moses that had brought bread to a million people. It was God. God Himself who provided this bread that came down from heaven. And so in essence, Jesus is proclaiming, you have missed the whole point. You study the Scriptures, but all you see are regulations. You don't see Me. You don't see the one to whom the Bible is pointing. He is saying to them that they don't understand the Bible because the Bible is constantly pointing us to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the bread from heaven. He is the incarnation, the one who came into this world and we eat and drink of Him in conversion. That is when we come to Him in initial faith and repentance. But we eat and drink of Him daily, for He is our daily bread, as we have ongoing communion with Him the rest of our lives. Only in Christ, dear family, do we discover that the heart cries of our souls are met. So they said to Him, Sir, give us this bread. Now, it would be easy for us to judge and to ridicule this crowd of people following Jesus in John chapter 6. They are very nearsighted when it comes to Jesus. However, we must also examine our own hearts to see if their illness might be contagious to determine whether we ourselves have caught part of it. 
St. Augustine rightly observed that every single person has a God-shaped vacuum in his soul. The illness which we may all suffer from time to time is we can all attempt to fill that cavity of the soul with other things than Jesus Christ. And some of those things are very good. But when they replace the Lord Jesus, they are very problematic. I recall another pastor, just one other pastor here at the church, speaking of his love of Oreo cookies. Others may strain with successful careers, satisfying relationships, comfort in wealth, attending the best university. None of these things are bad unless you use them in an attempt to satisfy that which only Jesus himself can satisfy. Now, I'm aware of my proclivity to fill my soul with ministry. That in and of itself is not a bad thing. I like working hard. I love helping people see Jesus. That's all good. Yet I can get into trouble when I feel that I must fix the matters of another person's soul. When I take the burden of doing that which only God can do, oh, do I suffer. And it's needless because that's not my role as a pastor. That's the role as Jesus, as the bread of life. Nothing satisfies the thirst, though, for our redemption and our hunger for significance like the Lord Jesus does as our bread. Now from this people, let's now look at provision from the bread of life. In verse 35, Jesus says... I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now this is the first of the seven I am statements of Jesus that we're going to be unfolding as we walk through the Gospel of John. But here I simply want to say that when we think of provision, to never be thirsty again and to never be hungry again, what a promise. What does Jesus mean? Well, first it means that Jesus and Jesus alone is the giver. He is the sustainer of spiritual life and of eternal life. For you and me, as we consider receiving this provision, it becomes clear that whatever it is that prevents us from all-out surrender to Christ is what we actually love more than Him. Now recall the rich young ruler who came to Jesus asking what he needed to have for everlasting life. And the Lord told him to sell all that he had to give it to the poor. Jesus knew that his wealth was really between he and God. The man walked away sad though. The Gospel writers tell us because he had many possessions. And so for us, we must examine ourselves to make sure that we have not caught the illness of focus upon the things of this world that will not satisfy. To never be hungry again and to never be thirsty again, we cling to Jesus Christ in all of His grace and in all of His mercy. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. We often sing in Rock of Ages, cleft for me. It is when we will be satisfied with nothing but Jesus and can tolerate the loss of everything but Jesus that genuine satisfaction is understood. Now that sounds extreme. Yet God's provision in Jesus Christ is also extreme. 
Secondly, what Jesus means, though, when He provides is that He always provides. Now think of this. He is providing what we need for our best, not always what we want. Now in our staff devotion time this past week, as all the staff comes together for a meeting, Matt Bradner with Campus Outreach shared his favorite verse. He's got many favorite verses, but this was his favorite verse for that day. From 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. Uh, And if you know Matt with Campus Outreach, it was just wonderful to hear him say, but this is the verse. Listen. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit, capital S, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Now, Matt went on to say that sometimes this free gift from God actually feels like something is being taken away. Now think about it. Sometimes what we need and what is freely given is a little adversity. Sometimes what we need and what is freely given is a little lack. Or perhaps some loss or disappointment that causes us to be grateful to our God and to look to Him as the only thing that will meet our need. Sometimes what I need and what is freely given is to remember that God knows me better than I know myself. He knows what will move me along in my pilgrimage towards becoming more like Jesus Christ. And in the process, as Jesus meets that need, He is actually fulfilling the deepest longings of my heart. Your heart. Become more like our Savior. Verse 37 that continues in this section about provision. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Now think about this. There is a giving on the part of the Father. There is a coming on the part of men and women. There is a receiving on the part of Jesus Christ. Jesus speaks to unbelievers, yes. He is speaking to those who live for the things of this world. He is speaking to those which want to have all that this life presents to them with their eyes. He is speaking to those perhaps who think that Jesus is someone who will make life just a little bit easier for them. Jesus is calling in His provision, Come unto Me and I will never drive you away. But He's also speaking in this verse to believers. He is speaking to His disciples. He's reassuring each of us. He's giving us confidence. Why? He's saying to all who believe that because salvation is a work from God from beginning to end, that we can rest in the assurance that He will complete that work in us which He has begun. He will bring it to completion. So rest in His grace. Rest in His love. Do you see though how humbling the message of salvation by grace alone is? The greatest thing that you need at times is to be brought down in the estimation of yourselves and your own ability and to be encouraged to be brought up with what Jesus can do in His power and by His person. There is absolutely nothing that you can do to save yourselves apart from the grace of Almighty God. We are reduced, we are reduced, we are reduced 
until we sing, I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. And yet there is a gravitational pull within most of us toward self-justification, self-sufficiency, self-preservation. We make life hard by trying to stay in control. And yet Jesus is saying, unless the Father draws you by His mighty and loving hand, you remain dead in your trespasses and sin. For our salvation is absolutely all of grace, or it is nothing at all. Grace allows us to say, this is His provision now, I am starving. I have nothing to offer. Please feed me the bread of life, Jesus, for I know You are the bread of life. And it is when you are spiritually impoverished, blind, wounded, lost, and you know that you're poor in spirit, that the love of Jesus, His grace, His mercy, begins to rise before us and we see the wonders of His love. We confess to God that we know we need Him and He meets us and He fills us. Now from this, from the people, from the provision, let's now move on to this person who is the bread of life. The bread of life, the God-man, well, to be sure, He is a person. Jesus. It reminds us that salvation comes through Jesus and Jesus alone, not through any kind of religious effort that we could amount or try to do. And yet in honoring the will of God, this bread of life, He has power. He has the power to save, to secure, to satisfy every sinner who comes to Him by faith. This is what separates Jesus from all other religions and self-proclaimed messiahs of the world. While they're promised great things, they deliver only death, according to the Proverbs. Jesus, on the other hand, promises life, salvation, security, satisfaction. And it's all absolutely given for the soul of man as a gift. In honoring the will of the Father, He is to lose no one that God has gifted to Him. He promises to give to all and trust in Him abundant life, eternal life, abundant life that is now, eternal life that is forevermore. Christ gives a salvation that lasts for all eternity. Nothing can ever take that away from the saint of God. The simple fact is this, that the person who places their faith in Jesus Christ is going to live with Him forever. Now, in honoring the will of the Father to give to secure this eternal life for the believer, know that Jesus has paid the price. He's done everything that is necessary to save you and me. He left the glory of heaven. He lived a perfect life without sin. He died on the cross to pay for the penalty of our sins. He rose from the dead for our salvation. He calls us to Himself. He has done all that is required. For you and me to be satisfied. To enjoy His salvation, His life, we come to Him by faith. 
You believe in Jesus Christ. This is the work of God, he has told us. We rest the totality of our weight upon him for the salvation of our souls. Now in closing, just two points. First, there's another snapshot that I remember as I sat on the back porch of my grandparents' home. Now I think it was right after I snuck a second piece of pecan pie. But my grandmother comes out on the porch, she sees me sitting in the swing, and she simply says to me, Ronnie, you are what you eat. (laughs) Now I realize that when Jesus tells us to feed upon him, I want to be about Jesus. Jesus is calling you to total assimilation, to to complete identification with himself, his teaching, his passion, his cross, his resurrection, his commands, wonderfully as all by his grace and love. Secondly, though, from the end of John chapter 6, beginning at verse 66, we didn't realize it, but John is writing to his disciples, or it's recorded here, that what Jesus is saying, a lot of folks have left Jesus because to, to eat his flesh and to drink his blood was too much for them to handle. So many of his disciples left. And so Jesus asks the question of the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So the question before us today, where in the world are we going today and every day except to Jesus Christ? Because He has the words of eternal life. Have you put your faith in Him? If not, do it today and be satisfied. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for your Son, Jesus Christ, the bread of life. Encourage us to be a humble and grateful people, trusting in your salvation. Bless your word to us now. We pray and bless it as a word of converting power that indeed you would feed and satisfy our souls. Hear our prayers for the good of your people. For the sake of Jesus Christ the Lord, in whose name we pray.